If you don't have an email list, then you don't have a direct line to your customers. Reaching your clients, audience, supporters, and fans with the right message at the right time in the right place becomes easy when you've got a strategic email list in place. My email list is the number one way I drive profits in my business. And major bonus here, it's a lot easier and way more fun than you might think. That's why I'm teaching a free live workshop all about growing your email list called From Zero Subscribers or Zero Strategy to an Engaged Email List That Lasts. I'll show you how to kick off your email list building strategy with no fear because I know it can be scary to start something new in your business. Save your virtual seat at growanemaillist.com. Inside of my free live workshop, you'll learn why email marketing is 10 times more effective than posting on social media, my secret to sending out weekly emails without adding a ton of work to my plate, my best tips for getting people to hit subscribe, and what to actually say to them to convert them from subscribers to paying clients and customers. Save your seat now at growanemaillist.com. That's growanemaillist.com to get started with an email list strategy that drives real results. I'll see you at the masterclass. And so I think all of that put together means that when we talk about period, it can't just be about product. It is so much more than that. There is the mental health aspect. Hormonal health is a whole other part of this conversation. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. I'm so proud to know that the world my two daughters are growing up in is a world that doesn't feel the need to whisper about things like periods. I'm of the blue liquid on a maxi pad generation. You might be too, but before our eyes, menstruation talk has moved more mainstream, stripping away more and more of the stigma that once made menstruators feel shame over their bodies. All that said, Recent progress in the period space might be more obvious, but we've still got a long way to go. And this guest today is helping us get there. Periods and ending the stigma has been a focus of Nadia Okamoto's work since she was just 16 years old. She's the co-founder of August, which is a lifestyle period brand working to reimagine periods to be powerful with things like sustainable pads and tampons, as well as period education with the Ask August database. In this conversation, Nadia shares the path that led her to becoming an advocate for menstruators, how she launched her own company, and why the different approach to period care is so important, and how menstruators can reclaim their period power. Let's get into it with Nadia Okamoto. Do you need a new show to add to your rotation? Please do not miss No Straight Path, hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Ashley is shedding light on the stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles, humanizing success from the millennial perspective. Featuring guests from all walks of life, No Straight Path aims to inspire conversations around the nuanced perspective of success. 
Ashley recently dug into the topic of fulfillment with Sabrina Merchant. If you've ever wanted to make a hard pivot and pursue something completely new and different in your life and career, you need to listen to that conversation. Listen to No Straight Path wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Nadia, welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. And you know what's so fascinating is we have had a few different podcast episodes about periods and menstruation, and those are some of our most downloaded episodes of all time. So I'm just going to throw this out into the universe that this is also going to be one of those. And I'm super excited about that. I love that. And I'm also not surprised. I feel like people are always asking me, like, when did I like think that periods were going to be a viral thing? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't decide that. It was more like a part of our human biology that the majority of people will menstruate. So yeah, it's relatable content. Absolutely. You know, it's super interesting. So I have two young daughters and my husband and I were just talking the other day because there was some sort of commercial. I think it was for a pad or something. And they actually showed red coloring instead of the blue food coloring. And he was like, whoa. And he was kind of surprised by that. And I was like, that is so freaking awesome. As parents of young children, I was telling him, I'm like, you don't even know like how long we hid tampons in our shirt sleeves or we're like whispering to each other like, hey, it's my time of the month or Aunt Flo is here. And so I'm like, I am just so excited to one, have this conversation with you, but two, to be able to have a topic on this platform like periods and menstruation that people are obviously curious about, which gets me to you, Nadia. Tell me about you and where does your story begin? Yeah, I mean, I think that periods and having a career in periods is definitely not something I ever dreamed of (laughs) getting into. But I think, you know, I got my first period when I was 12. And from the very beginning, it was a really open conversation with my family. I have a single mom and two younger sisters. And I think that having an open conversation about periods made it so that any interaction I had in the real world of, you know, really experiencing the period stigma was obviously a stark contrast to what I had at home, right? So I think getting my period at age 12 and then in middle school, like being made fun of for like the middle school boys finding tampons in my bag or, you know, all the jokes you grow up with around periods. I think that it was something I was always really attuned to of like, oh, this seems off. This is not how it is in my home. And why is that? But my passion for periods, I think really started when I was 16 and I learned about period poverty. And it was at a time that my family was experiencing financial instability in ourselves. So it was a time when I personally was obsessing over these questions around like, what are basic necessities and what aren't? Like, what are luxuries? And period products, obviously, are absolutely necessities. And to, at the same time, learn about period poverty and hear stories directly from homeless women who were experiencing it and how they had to use toilet paper or socks or brown paper grocery bags or even cardboard to take care of their periods, I think was a one, a really big privilege check for me, but also kind of catalyzed this obsession I had, which was trying to learn more about period poverty, because I think it is such a, it's such an underestimated issue, even in our developed, you know, United States society and situation today. And yeah, I just started doing Google searches and learned that you know, food stamps didn't cover period products. There were so many ACLU cases because period products weren't provided adequately for female inmates, all the way to at the time in 2014, 
40 states in the U.S. had a sales tax on period products, considering them non-essential goods. But products like Rogaine and Viagra were considered medical necessities. So, yeah, that was kind of the beginning, I think, of honestly, like my obsession. It just became something I couldn't stop thinking about. And that year, I founded a nonprofit called period.org, which continues to grow today based out of Portland, Oregon, addressing period poverty through service education and advocacy. Wow, that's fascinating. And I do think it is something that a lot of people have never thought about. I remember learning that most women in underdeveloped countries they literally just have to stay home and miss school. So a lot of school-aged females or people that menstruate are staying home from school and missing out on education because of their cycle, which was very eye-opening to me and just something that really woke me up to the fact that, whoa, this is not something that we really should be taking for granted in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I've, like honestly been so fascinated learning more about over the last eight years of doing this work, because obviously I have only ever really lived in the U.S., but it's undeniable that menstruation is the experience of anyone assigned female at birth, regardless of where you're born. And it is periods are a leading cause of absenteeism globally for adolescent women and girls. And some of that is very much related to period poverty, right? Like not having access to period care, not having access to like changes of clothes, that kind of thing. And that's honestly still a cause of absenteeism here in the United States. We recently did a study a few years ago when I was executive director of the nonprofit that found that like 84% of teens had either missed class or knew someone who had missed class due to a lack of access to period care. But I think also culturally in different countries, like the period signifies something more than maybe it does in the U.S., right? which is in some countries, getting your first period is when the gender roles, you know, begin to really come into play in your life of becoming a wife and a mother, because biologically, you're able to then bear children. So sometimes it's not only that you don't have access to period care and can't go to school, it's that you're not supposed to or allowed to go to school at that time, because that is not the main focus of your, you know, your role in society anymore. Wow. Yeah, that is fascinating and something I've never thought about. That's really, really interesting. I am super curious, like before we dive in fully, the question has come up a lot in the past and and I can even just hear in your language and it's something that I'm really trying to learn more. But can you share a little bit more about using the term menstruators and why that is so important? Yeah, so I get this question a lot because I think whenever I use the term menstruators, I actually get hate online a lot from like more conservative cisgender women who are like, don't simplify my humanhood into just having a period because they think it's like calling them a terminator, but like just for having a period. And that is not what the term is at all. The term menstruator is an attempt to be more gender inclusive about our language. I think societally... Menstruation historically has been considered as a part of your body's process that equates to womanhood. And there are a lot of harmful things about that, not only because I think it minimizes the value of women to like having the purpose of just bearing children, because like biologically that's what's happening. And, you know, being a wife and mother again, like historically, that is what has been the assumption of what our purpose has been but also because it is gender exclusive. Not everybody who experiences a period identifies as a woman. 
Getting a period really only requires that you have a uterus and those hormonal changes that are going to come that, you know, make up a menstrual cycle. So gender as a social construct is a completely separate conversation to the biological function of getting a period, right? So that biology is separate from gender. So trans men can get a period. People who are non-binary may get a period. So for us, using the term menstruator and also for me running a brand that is very purposefully, you know, gender inclusive in everything that we do. It's really our mission to just open up the conversation to be more inclusive of people who get periods regardless of what gender they identify as. And so you might have heard the the phrase, not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are women. And that phrase is really meant to encapsulate like not everybody who's a woman gets a period. Some may be trans, some may have hormonal differences or even not be old enough or maybe too old to get a period versus, you know, again, regardless of what gender you identify as, if you have a uterus, you will likely menstruate if there aren't any hormonal interventions. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that down. I am so curious about what you've learned about periods in your study. I have a feeling, do people come up to you and just tell you their own period stories? Because When you are open publicly and sharing about something that might be considered taboo, I feel like people then want to kind of unleash some of their own stories or feel like they are safe enough to share with you. Does that happen to you a lot? Yes, it definitely (laughs) does. It happens in person. It happens, you know, and it's not just about periods. I think it's about mental health too, Mm -hmm. because like I'm super open about being a survivor and like growing up with, you know, abuse and things like that. And so I think for any stigmatized topic, and unfortunately, menstruation is so stigmatized, mental health is stigmatized. When you hear someone else talking openly about this thing that you've been experiencing too and felt so alone about, I totally understand that obviously you would have this excitement about sharing as well. So yeah, I I love it, but I do get to hear people's period stories every day. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So can we talk a little bit about this mental health? You just brought it up, but I think that the impact on mental health and well-being and quality of life for menstruators is a really big thing that we should talk about, especially when it comes to talking about access and access to period care. And we've kind of touched on that the fact that it's not always accessible for people. How can that really play a role on those other facets of someone's life? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when we started August and we launched about a year ago, when we started our community and really fostering our community, we thought we were going to be talking about periods like 100% of the time, Mm -hmm. right? And what it's morphed into as we've followed the lead of our community, and I think what they're seeking out too, we probably talk about periods maybe like 50-60% of the time. And the other 50% is talking about mental health, feelings, emotions, skin, body care, And I think that it really is emblematic of the fact that menstruation is a part of our biological function that affects our overall well-being, right? Mm. There's a big difference between a period and a menstrual cycle. Your period is just the part when blood and the endometrium is exiting your body, but the menstrual cycle is happening 24-7, right? So that includes PMS symptoms, hormonal changes. Hormonal changes are directly linked to mood, PMS, a lot of mood symptoms, and Also, it comes with your body changing. Also, when you're on your period, you, you know, we're all aware of the period stigma. As you said, the experience of even hiding tampons up your sleeve, 
right? Doing things like that, even if we don't explicitly think in our minds, wow, this is period stigma, we are affected emotionally by the patriarchy that shames us for something so inherently natural and powerful or about our bodies. And so I think all of that put together means that when we talk about period, it can't just be about product. It is so much more than that. There is the mental health aspect. Hormonal health is a whole other part of this conversation. And then it's related symptoms, right? Endometriosis, you know, more severe period pain, uterine fibroids, the need for period education. So I think from a mental health perspective, like I do believe that your period is a time of your month where you are, you're prompted to be more in tune with your body, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way you maybe aren't and you don't have to be. And because of that, you know, depending on what your relationship is with your body and what challenges that may bring or what joy that may bring will absolutely affect your mental health. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's so interesting, Nadia. My dad had five brothers. And when I was his first daughter coming into her own, being raised, if I was ever crabby, he'd be like, what are you on your period? And and he never meant obviously anything negative by it. But now looking at the conversations my husband and I have around raising daughters, it is really interesting to see this generational shift of awareness. And I truly do believe that organizations like what you are doing with August is helping people have these conversations. Can you tell me more about how you got the idea for August, what it looked like starting it up? I mean, you started it up in the midst of the pandemic. So share a little bit more about that founder story. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you shared that with, about your dad, because yeah. I think that like, everybody has heard some sort of comment like that, right? Yes. And I think that like, you know, with absolute love to your dad, yeah. even if it's not meant in, you know, in a bad way, the message of it, I think, is overall harmful to yeah. like progress of young feminists, right? Absolutely. Like, and historically, like we have a history of the pain, the emotions being dismissed of women and of people who get periods. And like, we see that even today where we see powerful women rising in politics and leadership positions, but if they show too much emotion, mm-hmm. it's dismissed as, oh, this isn't a valid emotion. It's just hormonal changes, right? Yes. Being called crazy or, you know, having these sort of mood changes. It has so many different ways that it could be harmful because it one minimizes emotions, but also I think that it kind of fuels misinformation about periods and like, what can that do to a confidence of a young menstruator? But also, it also hurts us from being able to talk openly about periods, right? Because what if we talk about periods and I start talking about how I get really depressed or I I get really angry or irritable on my period? Does that mean that I will be personally perpetuating more negative stigma that will work against me, right? Mm -hmm. So I think like it's always so fascinating. And I love hearing about how other people were like raised with culture around periods because I think it can, I get so nerdy and academic about it. But (laughs) I love it. Back to your question. Yeah, you know, I mean, so I started like my first nonprofit in the period space when I was 16. And at no point until a couple years ago, did I ever think like, you know, I'm going to do this and like eventually launch a period brand, right? Like (laughs) if you asked me three, four years ago, I thought I was going to be working in the nonprofit space my whole freaking life. You know, like I felt like that is what my calling was and this is how I was going to pursue my mission. But naturally, as executive director of a growing nonprofit, suddenly I'm spending 90% of my time fundraising and trying to ask for donations of period care 
because we were distributing so much and we were growing our programs. And I think that I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know, looking at our numbers, like, wow, I'm like single handedly with this organization distributing 25 million units of period care. And I know a lot about the product. And I, at the same time, was growing a consulting agency with a few friends of mine where a lot of these brands were clients of mine. So I felt like I was getting this really inside look into how a lot of the corporations in the period care space thought of product, sustainability, ethics, inclusivity. And to be honest, I wasn't aligned with it. And this is something that I've been talking publicly about for so long, you know, like I've worked, even when I was working with these companies, I would always be really upfront with them on how I thought that they could be better and how I thought that they had a responsibility to be more inclusive because they do have such a platform and also how I thought that their branding could be bolder. And for a few years, I thought that the way I was going to get that done was to work with them as their nonprofit partner or as a consultant or an influencer. And then I think a few years in, and honestly, after I wrote my book, where one of the chapters in my book was about the commodification of period care over the last century. And I started to really feel like, I actually think that a lot of these brands are responsible for perpetuating negative stigmas around periods, right? Not only like, are they a part of the problem, but they are perpetuating the problem. Their capitalism is having them profit over setting the idea that you can buy the products to hide your period, forget you have a period. And that is exactly the opposite of what I, I feel like I stand for and what I believe in. And so I kind of on the, on the side of doing all of this work, I started just in my free time, just doing my own research and having conversations with friends and ideating, honestly, from like a, a place of frustration of like, I wish we had something different. I wish these brands would listen to me. I wish we could do something differently. And I think slowly I started finding answers like, oh, wait, we can make better products and we can make it more affordable and we can show period blood on social media and we can make a gender inclusive brand. And I think that in the, in early 2020, me and actually the co-founder and COO of Juve Consulting, which is where I was also working a few years ago, we decided to leave our positions and start what is now August. And yes, it was, we decided to do that literally three months before like the world shut down. (laughs) But I think that, you know, it's been really unexpected to like find myself where I am. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like I started a new career at all. It feels like I have the same goals and I'm the same narrative, the same questions I'm asking that I've been asking since I was 16, right? I've been thinking about period poverty and the quality of period care and inclusivity in period space and figuring out what I can do to do some sort of contribution to this overall menstrual movement. And I think that while my, like my mission and like my goals and even my tactics haven't changed, like I've always been on social media, I've been really interested in awareness and like community of young people in this. So the mission hasn't changed at all. I think it's just the vehicle and the entity by which I'm doing that, you know, it started as a nonprofit. And then I think I honestly felt trapped by the nonprofit industrial complex, right? being reliant on the exact corporations I wanted to change. Yes. And then, and, and, and I think that nonprofits are extremely important, but I think that I just didn't have the heart in it anymore. And so it was that. And then also like, then I wrote my book and I learned so much through that. And I was writing so much about the industry. I was doing consulting, getting a first look into these corporations and feeling like it could be better. And then that's kind of what led me to where I am today with August. Wow. What was the realization when you thought to yourself, okay, I've been trying to help these brands or companies along, 
maybe it's time for me to start my own company. Did you have like a aha moment or was it kind of a slow progression? Oh, I absolutely did. And <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm able to share this because I've actually said this on stages and I've like even said this to executives at this company, but like I worked really closely with Procter and Gamble for a while as a donor and, you know, also trying to push them to be more inclusive about their language and everything. And I remember like being so excited that I felt like they were making some progress on creating like a more Gen Z centric brand that was, you know, focused on sustainability. And I wanted to see this brand come to life that was all about empowering periods. And then they came out with what they called a Gen Z brand at Walmart of all places. And it was called just a period. And I, I literally stood on stage and I just like ripped it to shreds in front of like a few hundred people. And that was honestly the moment where I was like, this is ridiculous. I've been working with them for years and I've tried so hard. Like I've tried so hard to try to get them to understand where I'm coming from, to get the right people in the room. And I literally stood on stage and I said, you named the brand like literally the biggest hate comment I get from misogynistic men, which mm-hmm. is why do you care so much about this? It's just a period, mm-hmm. you know, like why do we even have to think about it? It's just a period. Does anybody actually care? And their slogan was simplifying womanhood. And I just felt like the brand completely missed the mark. The product wasn't different from what they were already selling. It was just in a different box. And everything we had talked about gender inclusivity wise and everything about empowering and not simplifying, I felt was just not there. And I think that honestly, that was a really big turning point when I started to think, because then it really put me in the perspective, right? Like I'm literally being hired to tell them what's wrong and I keep telling them that nothing's changing. And I think that was honestly, it was like the frustration of being like, I could solve so many problems by starting something like August. Like even on the impact side, August is able to take a stand on the tampon tax in a way that I couldn't on the nonprofit side, because as a nonprofit 501c3 status, you can't advocate for specific legislation. I can as a brand and we can cover the tampon tax and set an example of what it looks like to not collect tampon tax from customers. And like we give back product for every single purchase and, you know, are creating a revenue model that will generate impact and it won't be like a side thought. And I think that honestly, that was a big turning point for me of realizing not only that fact that it could be done, but like it needed to be done. And I think I kind of had the confidence like that I was the right person to do it. Mm, I love that. With customer expectations at an all-time high, showing customer appreciation is more important than ever. From special discounts to customer gifts, there are a million ways to show customer love. But the one way you will always win is showing them you value their time. From the moment they engage, make things easy, like food delivered to your door without leaving the couch easy. HubSpot's intuitive payment tools are just one of the ways that you can help your customers have a painless purchase experience. With full access to payment data, your team gets the full customer story, meaning they can provide the best possible service. And with directly embedded payment links, your customers can seamlessly purchase and pay from emails, live chats, and more. Learn more about how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. 
Hey, gold diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs. We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like, if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top-notch. Article's online-only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you, and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. I am curious, you referenced it a time or two, but did you receive any pushback or skepticism? Like when I can only imagine telling people what you're about to do and how you want to make a change on the world when it comes to period and discussion around it and products around it. Did you get any pushback? Totally. I mean, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And I still do, you know, like I think when I started period, right, it was in 2014. I think before periods were really like this huge mainstream viral conversation on social media. So like now today, like we're all familiar more, more so with like, people talking about periods or even like organizations like period.org who are trying to make it really public. But like that wasn't there in 2014. In 2014, there were like some really incredible academics who are doing work. Historically, there have been leading feminist advocates who've talked about it, but it hasn't been like a mainstream thing spread across social media. Yeah. So of course I got pushed back for like, why am I talking about periods? It's kind of gross and creepy. And I've had death threats my whole life. Like you can look through my TikTok comments on any video with period blood. And it's a lot of, this is disgusting. This is criminal. You should be banned. You need to be stopped. But I also think that like, I think a lot of that kind of pushback always fueled me because like, if I needed any, you know, I think a lot when, when you start a lot of initiatives or business, the first thing you get asked is, is there really a demand for this? Right. Do people actually need this? And every time I get pushback, I'm like, well, yes, they absolutely do. Like I would literally tell investors, if you don't believe that a powerful period brand is needed, go look through the hate comments on every single one of my videos because it will show you that period stigma is alive and well. And so in many ways, that kind of pushback, I think really, really fueled me. But then there's also pushback that I think very much was discouraging, which was around like, or not discouraging, but like challenging, which is I started in like more of the activist community that I think inherently is much more aware of the dangers of capitalism. And we are seeing a generation that is, is exercising and expressing a lot more anti-capitalist views. And in many, many ways, I completely agree. You know, like you cannot look at our society patriarchy without also taking into account capitalism and the effect of American greed. But I, so I think that there was a lot of honestly, like controversy too, about 
me moving over from the nonprofit side to social mm-hmm. enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people will like go make a bunch of money and then go to nonprofits. I did the opposite. <laughs> like I worked in nonprofits for six years and then I decided to start a company. And there was a lot of pushback on like, this is exactly what we don't need. Like you're going to be a part of the system. And I think that in many ways, there's a lot of validity to that. But, and I actually changed my whole major in college and I was studying like, I wanted to understand capitalism. And I think I also was studying so much about the nonprofit industrial complex. And I felt like, well, if I'm a nonprofit, I'm literally dependent on the capitalist system for funding. Like nonprofits and political movements get their funding from private donors, private foundations, corporations, corporate sponsors. So doing that is not changing anything within the capitalist system. It's actually just creating a vehicle by which corporations can have tax benefits and or strong marketing ploys for doing impact. And so I think for me, that's where it took a lot of my own research and arming myself with the knowledge and confidence that I believed in what I was doing to create a for-profit venture. And so I think that was a big part of it. And then the other side of pushback that I got a lot was around being like a very public facing, honestly, like girl boss. And I don't mean that in a positive way. I mean that in like, I started my career in 2014 in the wave of like young entrepreneurs and activists being very much glorified. And I very much came into my career at the height of hustle culture too. Mm -hmm. And I think that there was a lot about when I was starting August that simultaneously was about, you know, trying to kind of point out the, harm of the girl boss trope. And I think that I had a lot of fear and received a lot of pushback on like, is this something that's actually needed for me? Like I got told a lot, like nobody actually wants to hear from you. You need to like go away for a few years and like really reflect on what it meant to be like one of these kind of girl boss faces. And you need to like not be here, you know? And I heard that from some of my closest supporters who had been with me for years. And that was pushback that I think was the hardest to overcome. And it also really delayed the launch of August. We originally were going to launch in January and we kept pushing it back months and months for a multitude of reasons. But one of those being, I think that was the pushback that I honestly took very seriously, you know, because it was really terrifying. And I've seen so many other female founders where like people just didn't, they were so scared because like people we're telling them like, we don't want to hear from you, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's not your time to have that. And I think that's pushback that I sometimes still get. And it's one that I take really seriously. And I think has also really gone into why we care so much about community with August too. Yeah. How did you continue on and how did you kind of, cause I, when I'm hearing your story, I think that anyone that is stepping into a new space or a new path or launching a new idea or passionate about something or curious even, you're going to face adversity at some point. And I think sometimes those narratives of negativity or challenging or pushback, I think there's a difference between being challenged and criticized, right? But how do you really kind of anchor yourself to your why and keep moving forward. Do you have any advice on that? I think that's a really hard question, but I think also, I think, you know, for me, this is where I think having like a community is everything. Yeah. You know, I also, I come at this also from the lens of someone like with borderline personality disorder, where like my, my neutral narrative is very negative about myself. Sure. 
And so for me, I think that where I always come back to is like rooting myself in the issue that I'm trying to address. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, I think I, I have the benefit of being so passionate about something that is so obviously a problem, you know, like yeah. if I try to not think about periods, it won't last over like a couple hours because I'll be out in the world and I'll see a bathroom that doesn't have period care. And I'm like, wow, period products should be really free in this bathroom. Like even mm-hmm. subtle things like that all the way to I'll be watching a movie. And like, I was trying to like decompress from work the other day and I started watching Yellowstone And there was like a period scene in the show. And I thought it was, I, you know, had to take out my phone because I was like, oh, this is so emblematic of like, you know, how periods are this like hush hush topic. And it's like when your life as a girl and how you're objectified changes so much. So I think that for me, like, I am so passionate about what I do that I see instances and reasons to continue being passionate about it literally everywhere I live. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be true for a lot of different people, right? I have some friends who are like, honestly doing, you know, legal work and civil justice and they see injustice everywhere, you know? And I think that regardless of what you're passionate about, like, I truly think like the way I feel like I knew that I was passionate about periods was that it was the thing that I could not stop thinking about, even when I was never being paid for it, Mm. never thought I could ever be paid for it. And nobody was telling me to, and I I wasn't telling anybody else. Right. Like this was the thing that I was thinking about on my own time for my own value. And to me, coming back to that is where I think I stay really rooted in my why. I imagine living a life in which I can't talk about periods all day. And that to me seems like such a hard, challenging life. Like I realize it's such a privilege that my passion is my profession And I think that for me to have that opportunity is one that I would never want to take for granted. I think that's beautiful. And I think you bring up a really, really good point, Nadia, about how you would be sharing about this even if you didn't get paid. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes people will say, why aren't you talking about this? Or how can you talk about this? Um, Or if I had your platform, I would talk about these certain topics. And It's fascinating to me because I'm like, if I scroll back even through the last decade, I've been talking about the same things from 10 years ago that I'm still talking about today because I care about them. And I think that a lot of times people think that the platform needs to come before the passion or the purpose. But I think the platforms only come when you have the passion and the purpose when you're sharing when there's five people there that turn into 5,000, that turn into 500,000, that become a movement. And so I think it's a good challenge for everyone listening that you need to be talking about the things that you care about, the things that light you up now before anyone pays you a penny, before people are paying close attention to build up your confidence, but also to really anchor yourself to that why, because you're going to need to stay anchored and tethered when things start to get big. Totally. And I think to exactly your point, right? Like, I think what you hear a lot in the marketing TikTok side now is like niche down, you have to find your niche, you know? And so it's like, if you're not talking about what you're passionate about, you will be so bored, but it yes. also won't work. You know, yes. like if I think like for me, like I get asked a lot, like how do I prevent burnout now? Or like, don't I find work exhausting? And I'm like, I've literally been talking about this for eight freaking years. <laughs> like, right. And while it's changed, like I still talk, as you said, like you get asked similar questions and I still have as much excitement and ferocity and passion about answering questions because I think I'm learning more every day. 
And honestly, if you're not passionate about it, like you would just completely, I feel like you would just crumble. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Gold diggers, we all know the B2B landscape can be a bit complex. From lengthy buying cycles to complicated decision-making processes, reaching your target audience can be tough. But I found a solution tailored just for you. LinkedIn ads. A whopping 79% of B2B content marketers say LinkedIn produces the best results for paid media. That's because with LinkedIn ads, you're not just casting a wide net and hoping for the best. You're strategically building relationships and driving real results. We're talking about a platform with over a billion members, including 180 million senior level executives and 10 million C-level executives. You are networking with the actual decision makers. And LinkedIn's targeting and measurement tools are specifically designed for B2B marketers, meaning you're not wasting time or money on irrelevant leads. In fact, in the tech industry, LinkedIn ads have been shown to generate two to five times higher return on ad spend compared to other social media platforms. Using LinkedIn ads allows you to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to industry trends and developments, whether it's finding the perfect partner for a collaboration or uncovering new opportunities for growth, LinkedIn can be your secret weapon. Make B2B marketing everything it can be and get a hundred dollar credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash goal to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goal. Terms and conditions apply. On top of my many titles as mom, entrepreneur, and creative, I've also added host. Drew and I host on Airbnb on our favorite island in Hawaii. We started hosting as a way to make some extra income, and we've had such an easy breezy experience. Now we host year after year, and it's been a fantastic side hustle. Not to brag, but we've also been crowned Airbnb Superhost several times, so we are really killing the game. It's about having spaces we can enjoy as a family while creating memorable experiences for our guests, and it helps that we earn a little extra cash on the side. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I need to know, what does period power really mean to you? To me, period power is just about like complete body acceptance Mm -hmm. and celebration, which is like, fuck patriarchy and period stigma. Like my body is capable, if I want it to be, of creating life. Mm -hmm. And it's about accepting that your period isn't always going to feel magical and powerful, right? Like cramps suck. PMS sucks, but I accept it wholeheartedly. And I want to be in community with other people who have that same period power. I think that's so great. One thing that I think has been really interesting in my journey, specifically entering into motherhood was when I got really curious about cycles and ovulation and, and even setting my schedule around my cycle as an entrepreneur, which I think is just fascinating, but it really shifted the narrative for me, when you do start to recognize that your period is just a portion of your overall cycle, we are constantly in cycle and that women or people that menstruate, their cycle takes 28 to 33 or beyond days to reset. And that's just something that's beautiful. And once you start to really get in tune with your body and understand it, you can really change your life, but not just your life, your mindset around it. And it's something that I'm excited to walk through as a mom of girls and to really just kind of help them feel the power in that. So I love that that's what that means to you. 
Absolutely. And I'm so excited for your daughters to get their periods. I know, right? I'm like, man, it it has changed so much. For me, I didn't get my period until I was 16. I was a really, really intense gymnast and I wanted to get my period. I felt like the person that was left out of the cool kids club, like I was like waiting for it. And so it is, it's fascinating to see how, you know, our brains are shaped around our first experiences and you got it young, I think younger. And I think it's even happening younger and younger these days. And so it is really fascinating to see how we can bring up this next generation. Absolutely. So last question is, what are you hoping people are going to learn from your brand, your book, and your overall movement? I know it sounds simple, but I just think it's that periods are natural. Yes. And like, that's a fact, you know? (laughs) But I also think it's kind of a main takeaway that we're trying to fight, which is like, this is not a negative thing. This is not something to be ashamed of. It's just a natural part of our human life. Amen. Nadia, where can everybody find you, connect with you, learn more about August and get a hold of you? I'm at Nadia Okamoto on all socials and August is itsaugust.co on web and it's August or it's August co on socials. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this topic. This conversation was absolutely enlightening. Thank you so much. So excited for this. I don't know about you, but that episode leaves me feeling really inspired to just learn more about periods and menstruation and accessibility around those things. I know as a mom of two girls, I often think about when did I start to feel shame around my body or my cycle and what was I made to believe about it and how can we shift it to be an empowering experience? Because let's face it, for most of our lives, one quarter of our month is having our period and bleeding. What does that look like as women and people who menstruate and how do we start to change that narrative? and make it a more respected part of our lives and our existences. Thank you so much to Nadia for coming on the show. If you're curious about more topics on menstruation, I encourage you to go back to episode number 402 with Barry on Barry. It was an incredible episode. We also have episode number 270 with Claire Baker. No one ever told you this about your period. And I hope that we have more conversations about this topic. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Until next time, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. Hey, Gold Diggers. Lately, I've been getting excited to finish furnishing our new home, which is why I want to tell you about a brand that we absolutely love, which is Article. I have been a fan and a customer of Article for years. I'm always blown away by the curated assortment of furniture styles they offer. They have mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and even boho designs. There is something for everyone, no matter your taste. In our last house, we had their sofa and leather chairs. At our lake house, we have their dining table and chairs, 
We also just ordered some of their outdoor furniture for our new patio. Like if you can't tell, we are obsessed with Article. The quality and style are top notch. Article's online only model means that they can offer some great prices with fast and hassle-free delivery. Pick the delivery time that works for you and they keep you updated every step of the way. Article's customer care team is also amazing. They're knowledgeable, friendly, and always there when you need them. If you're like me and you're itching to give your home a makeover, I highly recommend checking out Article. They believe in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their commitment to style, quality, and affordability, it's never been easier to transform your space. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash gold digger and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash gold digger for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more.